Good morning. So um, let me begin with an announcement, if you will, that um, today, I don't know if you are aware of it, but I will tell you that uh, Franklin Graham has invited the Christians across this land to pray and fast for, for the nomination of the Supreme Court Justice, and I believe with the spiritual condition of what's going on in America. And then secondly, the Monday night before the election, we will have another worship and prayer night here. I just believe it is extremely important. We are at a pivotal time in this nation. And so that'll be not tomorrow, but it'll be a week from tomorrow that we will, uh, excuse me, a week, uh, yes, it'll be a week from tomorrow that we will gather here at 7 o'clock and have that uh, worship and prayer night. So anyway, so um, I want to start out this morning just a little bit differently because I, I felt the Lord directed me to do something here. And in my saying this, I am not saying this to exalt ourselves, but this is what the Lord gave me. He gave me a picture of a team of horses. And these horses were united. And these horses were under the direction of the, of the Lord. They were all moving in the same direction, going forward. And the horses represented the leadership here. So let me be clear. I am not here to exalt us. I'm here to exalt Jesus, to bring glory to Him. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, first of all, I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of you guys. Secondly, what the Lord said was that as a congregation, to just, that, you know, when we gather together on Sunday and hear the word, there is labor. There is, I'll say the word toil. And there is great effort that goes into under the leading of the Lord to bring forth what he wants to accomplish here. And I'm saying that in the, in the point, in the context of the Lord wanting to, to recognize them, but also that you recognize the toil and the effort. And the Lord finally said, you know what you guys do in secret, what you do in preparation, I'm taking this moment now to acknowledge you, to commend you. And so for us, I just want to say thank you, Lord, for the blessing and the privilege and for us as a congregation that whether we're leadership or we're not leadership, he has united us. And for the blessings and the gifts that he gives to us, both in the leadership and you in the body. So that's what I felt the Lord put on my heart to start out this morning. I wasn't planning this, but he, he made it known that that's what he wanted to say. So that's where I wanted to start with. So having said that, and moving into the message here, there is a lot here in these verses and uh, it reminded me of an orchestra, a symphony orchestra. And in an orchestra, you know, when something is being played, there are a lot of active things that are going on. You have the violins, you have the wood section, you have the percussion section, you have the horn section. You've got all these things, all these actions are taking place at the same time. And you can focus on any one of these things, and that's okay, that's good. But recognize and know that all these other things are playing out at the same time. And so, in all these things that are playing out at the same time, they are all happening under the orchestration of God the Father. So if you, you look at 
the many players that are going on here. You have, you have in what Warren shared last week, you have Judas and what's going on. You have, the, you have the scribes and the Pharisees and the high priest. You have all of these players there in, in, the, in the leadership. You have the crowd and the Jews. You have the disciples and what they were doing or weren't doing. And you have Satan very actively in there also. All of those are major players, but last but definitely not least, the, the biggest player, if you will, is God the Father. Because with all these things playing out and the intensity that they're playing out, it's all, it's all happening under his guided hand and watchful orchestration. And all of these things are coming together now. Everything that was talked about at the beginning of creation is coming to a crescendo. And a dear friend of mine, when I shared with them, they said, you know, well, I, I read what you're going to be doing, and wow, the lids come off. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. The lids come off in the events. It's coming to a climax, a, a crescendo, if you will, of sorts. And so here, this morning... As I read these words, there are three inescapable truths. There may be more, but there were three that I felt are really profound. And having said that, Father, I pray that as we go forward here now, I pray that you would open our eyes. Open the eyes of our understanding. Open, open the eyes of our heart. And Father, let us behold wondrous things of you and your word. And your word which is spirit and your word which is life. Let it have its reign and prosper and do its work in our heart. We just lift this all up to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And I give myself to you to be hidden you. And that every word that I speak, they don't see me, they don't hear me, they hear you. All to your glory in Jesus' name. So, the first, the first profound truth, if you will, how deep the Father's love for us. Secondly, I'll never know, we'll never know how much it cost to see our sins upon the cross. Some of these statements that I make today, I'm just going to pause after some of these statements because they're so powerful. They're so, they're so awesome. And they are life-changing. And finally, who for the joy set before him endured the cross? We can read these words and we can hear these words, but yet these things remain true. How deep, how deep. You know, it's, it's one thing to endure torture as our Savior did. But it's another thing when out of love and in great love, you do it. There's, there's things that we can endure, so to speak, and that's, but in love, to take on, to, in, to incur, to let be heaped upon Him, everything, how great is that love? And if I can be honest, there is, I believe there's a danger that when we say Jesus died on the cross for our sins, yes, that's true. But this morning, and what we're going to be looking at in Matthew here, I just I want to unpack that a little bit more because there is more in that statement that incorporates 
that into that, if that's the way to say it. That when he died, yes, he died, but there were a number of significant things that took place with that death. And that should transform our thinking. That should give us every reason and cause to rejoice and give thanks. And that should give us an anointed momentum to live into what he did for us. If there is one thing that I have seen and have been challenged and stirred in my heart with the gospel of Matthew and and through this year, it's been the idea to live out and to live into and to go forward. So, starting at verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. I want to draw your attention to they gathered the whole battalion before him. The word gathered there is the same word that Tom, when he spoke on Matthew 13 and Jesus no longer preached in the synagogue, but he went out and by the boat and it said they gathered around him. It's the same word there in terms of the synagogue. It's that same word. And when it says they gathered the whole battalion before him, we're not talking about a group like four bullies who are taking away Jesus' lunch money here. We're talking about 600 men. We're talking about 600 men who all had their... I'll be honest, I, can't, I don't know of all 600... But yet when it says they, 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 it's the idea that these 600 men, they took part. They all had their turn. They all had their chance. They all had their opportunity to ridicule him, to beat him, to do whatever they wanted to do in that moment when they were gathered together with him. 600. In Psalms 22, which I would just encourage you and you're reading this week, just take a moment to, to look at this psalm because this is an overlay of what is playing out here in, uh, in Matthew 27. And I could have read that today, all of it, but we're looking at another 31 verses and I don't want to overload you with that but I would seriously want to encourage you to look at that overlay of Psalm 22. And in that psalm in particular, he, he speaks to he speaks to what's transpiring there with the soldiers. Many bulls, this is in verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening, like a ravening and roaring lion. I would say that's pretty graphic. And you know. When I think of bulls, the thing that I think of with bulls, first and foremost, are the horns. And, man, I don't want to get close to them. I don't want to get anywhere near any kind of uh, provoking them. And yet, it's the idea that these bulls have great strength and they have horns and uh, they open, their, open wide their mouths at me and like ravening and roaring lions... They're thinking about devouring. They're thinking about their cruelty that they're going to unleash on Jesus here. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! 
And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. So what the Roman soldiers are doing here, scarlet was the color and the robe was, was the idea of uh, and that color and that robe is what they placed on a king. And what, they, what the Roman soldiers are doing here, they're doing a mock coronation. There was a ceremony where they went through different activities. They put a robe on and then they put a crown on the, the, the person's head and this is to signify that we, we, this is the moment where we recognize, where we acknowledge that you are king. And everything that that says, this is the moment that it's officially recognized and now it's, it's happening, it's, it's reality. So the Roman soldiers here are doing a mock coronation. And so, when they twist together a crown of thorns, where, where have we heard about thorns before? Let me think. Hmm. That's right. All right. Yes, back in Genesis 3. And what happened there? They were caught in their sin, and the Lord... Lord says that in that moment, this is, this is what he says. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face... You shall eat bread till you, turn, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So thorns and thistles are part of the curse. And now we see Jesus here being crowned with the curse. And... I think maybe just one other side note. I believe in scripture that thorns, remember Paul? He said he had a thorn in his side. It was an affliction. And here we have Jesus again with that being crowned with the curse, we see him being afflicted. And then they put a reed in his hand. And so in talking and, and giving him a reed, what came to my mind was, where have we heard that word reed used before in Scripture? Well, let me just throw this out. John, excuse me, Jesus when he talks about John the Baptist. And he says uh, about John, he says, what did you go in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And that this, this was not a scepter. This, this was supposed to signify, you're a weak king. You don't have any power. You don't have any authority. You're just the kind of king that the Jews deserve. And in that regard, we look at the disciples, we think of Peter, and when, when Jesus repeatedly told them about what he was to incur, and, and, and Peter saying, may it never be. And Peter's mindset is, is on Jesus, and his expectation is that when Jesus comes, the Romans here are going to get their comeuppance, and the Jewish, and, the, and that finally, somebody is going to put them in their place, they're going to get taken down a notch or two, and we're finally going to have justice here. And and when all this unfolds, that's all dashed. Even, even to the point where after Jesus is crucified and, and uh, we find Peter and the other disciples, oh, we're going, we're going to go fishing. We're going to go back to what we were doing before. But the idea that 
What we have on display here is not a weak king at all. And though in the circumstance on this level and on this layer, if you will, there is another greater, higher layer that is unfolding and that is playing out. And what we see and what we're going to see in the scriptures ahead, <clears throat> how many times in, in our prayers and when we, we hear it in the songs, the worship songs, we sing about the faithfulness of God. We are seeing an active, living out demonstration of the faithfulness of God who is going to take everything that is hurled at him and he will not buckle under. It reminds me of the song in Christ Alone. And there's a line in that song where it says, Firm through the fiercest drought and storms. So not only do we see the faithfulness of God here, we see the firmness of God here, that he will not deter, he will not be swayed, he will not buckle. His eye is on the goal. The goal is to please the Father. The goal is to en- for the joy set before him, to endure the cross. Let me direct your attention to a familiar set of passages in Hebrews chapter 6. And here in verse 19, because this is what's unfolding. On the one level, you see the circumstances and you see the enemy being unleashed and you see the blasphemies and you see the mockery. But this is the higher truth. This is what's playing out. And that is this. And In Hebrews chapter 6, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, talking about Jesus, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So in the unfolding here, We're going to see the end. We're going to see the abolishing of an old covenant and the establishing of a new and a high priest and that he is our anchor. He goes into the place where we can't see. But because he is sure and steadfast, we can be sure and steadfast. It's been quoted a number of times, uh, this person, Peter Lightheart, in, in previous messages, uh, this commentator. And I just want to share with you here what Peter, uh, what Peter says about uh, Jesus and the stripping and the unstripping of the garments. But there are layers here that the soldiers do not grasp. In robing Jesus in scarlet, they are dressing Jesus for priestly service. And the priest also wears a crown. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest stripped off his garments, put on linen garments for the rituals of atonement, then put his normal clothes back on. In the stripping and reclothing, and in stripping and reclothing again, the Roman soldiers are sending Jesus off to sprinkle his own blood for the covering of sin once and for all on his son, the new high priest. So too, a priesthood is dying here. The priesthood of Aaron and Zadok and is being replaced by a new priest, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Scarlet is also the color of the harlot's clothing in Revelation. By by dressing Jesus in scarlet, the soldiers are unknowingly confessing that Jesus is the one who takes the harlot's sins. The one who declares, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. That is a mouthful. As I said before, all of these things are playing out at the same time here. And I'm just in awe of the faithfulness. If I had a nickel for every time we use that word, the faithfulness of God. 
And here we see the firmness of God. And I'm repeating that I'm saying that for our encouragement so that we not lose heart. We have this great, with a capital G, example before us. And like Paul, Paul said in 2 Timothy, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. And we see right here what he is doing. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Those are eternal words. Truth, promise, encouragement, life. And I pray they stir your heart the way, these, the way they have stirred mine and in the actions that we're about to see here. And then finishing up in that verse 31, after they, they mocked him and they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and led him away to be crucified. And what was, what was customary in that time is the criminal would, be, would bear the, the cross beam, would bear the cross, that portion of the cross, the horizontal, on his back. And a, a centurion, a Roman centurion, would go before, would go before the, the criminals that were to be crucified and he would herald the crime of the criminals that were following. And I want to just submit to you that in direct contrast that when the, when the finished work of the cross takes place, and I'm not trying to steal thunder away from next week, we're going to see a different, we're going to see a contrast here. And in Colossians, what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to see the victorious king who defeated every principality and power in the procession instead and captivity and the enemy and every foe that you and I would ever face trailing behind him as he goes in triumphant procession before us. That should rally your heart. It does mine. It really does. Well, I tell you, just going through this message, there's things... I'm just getting stirred up. It's powerful. And I want to say a word about the father here. He's in the background, so to speak. Not just a bystander. He's, this is under his guiding hand. But what I want to say is, I want to, in, in one of the earlier messages, where the parable of the tenant Jesus talks about. Remember that? The parable of the tenant. And uh, there are servants that are sent to the vineyard. And they beat some of those servants and they kick them out of the, the vineyard. And then the, the owner says, I'm going to send my son. Surely they're going to respect him. And what do they do? They kill him. And in that parable, he says, what, what do you think... What do you think the owner's going to do? They killed his son. He said he's going to come back. When he comes back, he's going to kill them. So imagine if you're a father like I am and you have a son or your daughter and you see them in a dire situation. I mean a life and death situation. If you see them where maybe they're getting beat up, they're being assaulted, or it's you, you, a life-threatening situation. Would you just kind of stand back there and watch? Okay, great. Let's uh, let play out. No, no. We weren't wired, we weren't created that way. 
You see that son or daughter, you come in there with everything you've got to take down that enemy. So we have a heavenly father here who is showing great restraint. And he's, 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 he's allowing this plan to be executed. And so, so not to come in, which is what's happening here, he's not coming in right now and he's not going to bring him down. Remember in the garden when Jesus said, I've got 12 legions of angels on standby. Well, the Father's there too. This is on the radar. This is there. They're watching. It's like, okay, you say DEFCON 1. You say, we're in it. We're going. It doesn't happen. Remember when Jesus himself in the garden, when he said those three words, I am he. What happened? That that, that crowd of soldiers, they fell backwards at the mention of those three words, I am he. But he didn't do that here. And so with the father's restraint here, he is giving, he's giving opportunity because the son is about, he's giving opportunity because the son is about to drink the cup. We're going to see that he's offered, he's offered a drink to numb his senses, to numb his mind to the pain that he's about to experience. And Jesus says, no, I want no part of it. I want, I am going to drink the cup that the Father prepared for me. And in so doing, at this present time, there is a choice that people have to make. They can choose to receive Jesus and the provision that he made and that he drank the cup of judgment for them or when Jesus comes back or they're called home, they're going to drink the cup and they're going to be forever in torment, separated forever from the Father. And I just want to show, I just want to share just a little testimony here. I'm going to digress for just a moment. But I think it's important and it makes the point because it... It speaks to the point. At work. This is my mission field. I have a gentleman that works alongside of me. His name is Randy. It could be Joe. could be Roy. I'm just picking a name out. could be Jethro. But what I want to say is that this person that I work with, I said, we, and this goes back to the establishing of building bridges. And I said, you know, we've, We've talked about a lot of different things. We've, we've clowned around. We've, we've done different things. I've, I've prayed with him even. I've prayed with him. And I can tell you that on one recent occasion here, the Lord healed him of a bad headache. He came up to me. You know, when somebody comes up to you and tells you that they're afflicted with something, well, God told me, well, what are you waiting for? Here's your cue. I said, okay, great. I'm acting on it. But I said, I, but I, I shared with him, I said, you know what? There's going to come a time and day when I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to ask me, did you ever talk to so-and-so about me? So I'm having this conversation with him. And he's saying, you know what? He said, I know that there's going to come a day. Now, I don't know if he's a believer, okay? But he says, I know there's going to come a day when I'm going to stand before him. How amazing is that? And he says, I want to have this conversation with you.
powerful. Okay. And to God be the glory for orchestrating that. He's the one who opens doors. He's the one who sets up those divine appointments. Okay, so. And when they had crucified him, at verse 35 there, when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. They, then they sat down and kept watch over him there. I thought it's interesting. They kept watch over him there. Like what? You mean somebody's going to actually try and come up and take him off the cross? That's what it says. They kept guard. They kept watch. And they, they, they cast lots. And so in these details, there are, there are prophetic fulfillments here again. And then uh, as we read on, and they mock and blaspheme Christ here, all of these, these mockeries, all these blasphemies, they undermined. Matthew's not just doing a thing of apologetics here. Matthew is saying they undermine their own mockings and they are proclaiming the truth that he is who he is because of the casting of the lots, because of the setting of the guard, because of the, the giving him that, that strong drink, that mind-numbing drink. And there were two robbers that were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And so everybody, and then there's more mocking and, and blasphemy that is taking place. You've got the whole chorus, the whole choir, so to speak, of mocking him, of blaspheming him, and saying, you saved others. And so here in this thing, in these verses, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Where have we heard those kinds of words before? If, if you are the Son of God. Is that by accident? I don't think so. If you are the Son of God. See, he's, he's still very much in play here, doing his thing. If you are the Son of God, Command these stones to be turned to bread. He's got this whole choir stirred up, singing a horrible song. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him Man, what a statement. The chief priests with the scribes and elders. The religious leader of their day. Coming to this point. The ones who should have been an asset and a resource and saying he is the way. 180 degree opposite and doing just the opposite. And saying no he's not. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Yeah, it was our sins that held him there. But along with that sin, I believe it is his unsearchable how deep the father's love for us that held him there. So skipping down then to skipping down to verse 45 then. But let me just say this. Divided as they were, the Jews, the Gentiles, the different cultures, the Romans, they are all unified right here. 
And what brought them together was their hatred and their blasphemy for Christ. It sounds to me like another babble. Another Tower of Babel. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about that ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a, again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So what I want to direct your attention to is the fact that here, when Jesus cried out and with the darkness coming over all the land, I believe that that darkness that came over the land represented what was about to be a spiritual transaction that happened in Jesus between him and the Father. When he says... And at that, that moment, it wasn't by coincidence that that happened. And I want to direct our thoughts here to Isaiah 53 to what transacted in that moment. <clears throat> And before I do that, I also want to just say that in your, your reading this week, I just want to encourage you to look at Psalm 22 again there because Psalm 22 gives a little more graphic. Matthew does not go into a lot of detail about the crucifixion here because they knew what it was. They knew how horrible it was. As a matter of fact, we get our English word excruciating from the Roman word that means out of the cross. So just think about that word excruciating. I just think about going to the dentist sometimes and that's the word that comes to my mind. I'm just saying. But, um, but that's... I mean, that's just a, such an ugly word. Excruciating. Oh my gosh. I could say root canal and that just sends me flying. You know. Okay. <clears throat> Isaiah 53. He was uh, starting at verse... Three here. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Carrying each and every one of you, your grief, your anxieties, your fears, your worries, your burdens, and griefs. So you can translate that as sickness. But just, just think, each and every one of us, just think about this room. That's a lot of weight to carry just right there in this room. But he's doing that for the whole world. There's a song years ago. Boy, I'm telling my age here. Scott Wesley Brown, I believe the guy's name was. If he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, surely he is able to carry you. And uh, there's a passage in Isaiah I can look it up if you want, but it says, even under gray hairs, he will carry you. So not only has he carried 
this sin and sickness, but he carries us even under gray hairs in his faithfulness and his promises to us. Okay. He's carried them. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So stricken, we're not, we're not talking about just a little love tap here. We're talking about a full force strike. Strike. Don't want to hit the microphone here. I'm just, strike. A full-fledged smote. Just think about when um, <clears throat> Moses was commanded by God to smite the rock in the wilderness to bring forth the water. And he had that rod. It wasn't just a little tap. It was to smite and that's what this is, stricken. So then, <clears throat> smitten. To strike, hit, beat, to slay. And then finally the word afflicted. To punish. To punish. To inflict pain upon. You know... <clears throat> It's one thing if you do something wrong and you have to take your lumps. It's another thing when you are the Lamb of God, spotless, without sin. And here you are, taking the striking, the smiting, and the afflicting, and then becoming the sin. My sin, your sin, our sin. And there's a miracle that's taking place that only God himself could have done here. As we read further on, he, said, he says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, in the Old Testament, the blood of goats and bulls could not, could not take away sin. It was a representation of what was to come. But how frustrating would that be to go through, okay, God, this is what you're saying to do. It's a representation. It's not happening, but we're doing because you said so. Okay. I have to say that would be kind of frustrating a little bit. But now is the moment, the time, when he will once and for all take that sin upon, reach into your life. Take that sin reaching into your life and put it on him. On him, on him. And then take it, and take it, and take it, and take it some more till the wrath of God. <sighs> till the wrath of God was satisfied. I could scarce take that in, people. Such a powerful miracle. So when he's hanging on that cross there, Psalm 103, as far as the east, from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us Whew. as far as the heavens are high above the earth so great is his mercy towards them that fear him that which was meant for us. And when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the first time where he does not call him father. 
He doesn't use the word father. Every other time, my father, your father, our father, different places. This is the only time where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I would be remiss. There's one more thing I want to, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I want to encourage you to read Psalm 22. Because what's not said here, but is in Psalm 22, says that the Father answers him. I'm still trying to process that because in my growing up and focusing on the words of the cross, it says in the latter part of Psalm 22, it says he answered me. And it ends in a triumphal, on a triumphal note, which is, which is, which is good, which is good. So I'm not saying that I had the answer to that. I'm just saying that it's something that I'm going to pray about and say, okay, God, how does that figure into this? And that's okay. God doesn't expect us to have all the answers. But what he does invite us to do is to search it out and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So when it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, Jesus is proclaiming, as we see in one of the other Gospels, he says, it is finished. That when it says he cried with a loud voice, it is, a, it is an impassioned cry. It is the victor's cry. When he says it is finished, the Greek word there is to telestai which means paid in full to the Father. Paid in full. Now, anybody here that's ever had to pay a bill and they get that receipt back and it's got stamped on it, paid in full? Just think about when we were objects of wrath, enemies of the cross, and God does this to his son. He is stamped on him, so to speak, and the striking, smitten in affliction, paid in full. So, at that moment when he, when he cries out, that victor's cry and says, it is finished, the veil, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That holy of holies, that place where only, only the high priest could go and that was once a year. I, am, I want us to so grasp that every day that we live, whether we think about it, whether we acknowledge it or we don't acknowledge it, the inescapable truth is that every day we are in His presence. And that He ripped that veil in two and He's coming outside and He invites us to meet Him. And that, just think, if, you, if there was only one person that could go and it's not you, and it's just them, where does that leave us in all of this? Well, I mean, he's there with them, and we're here, and you tell us what he's doing, but I mean, but here, that he purposely, for every one of us to have access to his presence, to welcome us, for it brings reality and power and encouragement to every one of the invitations that Jesus gives in the New Testament and even in the Old. To, for example, in Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly before His throne. We haven't a high priest who can't be touched with our infirmities, but in all points was tempted as we were, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly. Hebrews 10 we have confidence to come before Him. Hebrews 10.25 We have confidence to come before Him. Because of this reality, we have access 24-7. No, 
No punching the keys on the phone, and if you hit this, hit this number, hit this number. No, direct access to the Father, not an automated system. Every day, any moment, those invitations are a reality. And hanging on the cross, he became a curse. He took the curse. Hanged is everyone that is hanged on the, on the tree in Galatians. It says. So we're no longer under the curse. We're under his grace. And talking about being paid in full in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, He ransomed us. He ransomed us from futile ways. Futile ways. Just think about whatever your mindset may be, whatever your normal course of action may be. He ran <clears throat> futile ways. How would you like to do something and no matter what you did, the end of it's futile. It doesn't amount to anything. It won't accomplish anything. No, because of that being paid in full, he ransomed us from futile ways. Now every day is a new opportunity, a new vista, a new horizon to walk in the grace, to live in the grace, to grow in the grace to, with his presence to live into something new. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it speaks of taking a hold of what he says, to be able to live, to go in and possess the land. That's what we have now in his provision. We can go in and live into what he took possession of and what we have in him, that grace. And just for good measure, in Romans 5, where it talks about sin reigning, death reigning. Just think about some kind of a king that is monarch and has the final say. And no matter what, it's like gravity. You can't break it. It's there. Reigning. No, that reign of sin and death has been broken. That grip in your life, I don't care what it is, it has been broken. It has been broken. That grasp, that vice-like, unshakable, unyielding, unflinching grip of sin and death has been broken. And now what we have is the open hand of invitation and of grace and mercy to come to our best friend, the lover of our soul, the author and finisher of our faith. And he said, okay, guys, I'm going to lead you in triumphal procession and you have opportunity now to live into what I have provided for you. So it makes the statement that where it says in Romans, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Amen. Grace abounded all the more. Say it with me. Grace abounded all the more. That's life. And I'm declaring that over you right now. And I don't care what your struggle is. I don't know what, where you, if you've got something that you've been shackled to, that you've been frustrated. But I tell you this right now. Grace abounds all the more. And I declare over you right now. Thou hast turned your, mor his, your morning, thou hast turned my morning into dancing for you. You have put off my sackcloth. And I declare that over you right now. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare that over you. Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing for me. Thou hast put off my sackcloth. And girded me with gladness. I proclaim that over you. So I started with some strong statements and I just want to finish here in closing. This is where I'm going to stop. We know he could have put a legion, he could have put 12,000 troops over there in front of that grave. They weren't going to hold the king. So here, here are some takeaways, some big takeaways. Not that there weren't some that I already mentioned, but here's, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for every one of you. And you know, we hear that in altar calls and stuff, 
But here, here's the point that I want to make it saying God has a plan for you. God had a plan here. There was no power in hell that can thwart any of God's plans. So when God says in Jeremiah 20, 29, For I know the plans. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. You sh- Yes. Plans for welfare and not calamity. There is no power that can thwart God's plan. And on the surface, though it may look like that, God is able to take it. Just look what he did with the cross here and made it the way of salvation. Plans for welfare and not calamity. Secondly, when Christ tore that veil and he came out and, and we, can, we can be with him, we are not just with him. We are united. We are united. One with him. One with him. If you're one with somebody, does that mean there's two? No, that means there's one. One. See this? One. Husband and wife. When they're joined together before God, what happens? They're made one. One. Let that sink in. We are made one. And because we are made one with Him, our lives are hid with Christ in God. Hid. But look at my sins. Look at... What sin? I paid this price. You surrender your life to me. You accept me as Lord and Savior. Your life is hid with me. Period. Galatians 2, a defining moment. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me at that defining moment, this defining moment of the cross. This is D-Day. This is D-Day at the cross. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So that faith, everything we have, it's, it's the gift of him. So it's him It's him taking the lead. It's never us trying to work something up for him. It's him leading our responding to and embracing and implementing and walking it out. That's faith. That's grace. That's salvation. It's not, oh God, I got to work. I got to believe. I got to believe. No, it's, it's part of the gift of who he is. That inexpressible, too wonderful for words gift. So when he speaks a word to you, when he sings a song of deliverance to you, when he gives you a promise, he is saying, I'm gonna, I want this for you. And if God gives you a gift and grace and gives you something, are you going to unwrap it? That's what he's asking us to do. Unwrap it. Unwrap it. Use it. It doesn't do any good if we just say, oh, wow, thanks for the gift and stick it on a shelf. No, you get a gift. You know what I do? I'm, I'm sorry, just a moment here. My, some members of my family who will remain nameless here, when they get a gift, they, they unwrap it. But they're very meticulous, very careful, don't want to destroy the bow. And then they don't want to destroy the wrapping paper. They want to save for another day. Me, if I get a gift, you know what I do? I tear it open. I tear it open. I tear the box open. Stuff debris all over. I unwrap it. But that's the heart that God wants us to have. He gives you a promise. He speaks to your heart. You unwrap it. You unwrap it with all your heart. And you embrace it. You make it your own. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. And you know what? It puts a smile on his face. It brings joy to his heart. When we implement what he gives us. So I'm done. Let's pray. Father,
We just want to take this moment to give you all praise, worship, thanks for who you are. You're so good. You're so good. Thank you for taking the judgment, for taking our sins, taking our guilt, taking our shame. Taking the judgment of God upon yourself. And giving us in exchange for what we deserve. Giving us mercy. Giving us life. Resurrection life. Abundant life. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray. Father God, as we go into this week, let us walk in newness of life. Let us walk in fresh anointing. Let us walk with fresh wind and fresh fire because of your great, unending, unfailing love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your firmness. You are good. We give you praise in Jesus' name and thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.